Hey, this is Alexia from Children of Bottom, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Bello from Anthrax, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Turn it up! Hey, this is Chris Jericho of Fozzie, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Don't stop listening, or I'll come and find you. I know where you live. Welcome to episode 216 of the Iron City Rocks podcast, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am your host, John, bringing you the best hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music talk on the net. Episode 216, we have two guests joining us. We have former World Wrestling Entertainment heavyweight champion and vocalist for the band Fozzie, Chris Jericho, joining us on the line. Also a celebrity from Dancing with the Stars, that's a first for us. And we have joining us from the band tragedy we have maurice joining us to talk about incredible disco metal mashup band that they are so we're going to play a little track from the band fozzy this is a track that features uh, m shadow from avenge sevenfold and congratulations to them for having the number one album in the country song from fozzy's latest album this song is called sandpaper and then we're going to get into an interview with chris jericho Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show Chris Jericho of the band Fozzy. How you doing, Chris? Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. Um, I have to say, I ask you, uh, you grew up in Winnipeg, am I correct? Yes. And obviously you took your name from from the band Halloween. Was was that the kind of stuff you were into at that age? Is that kind of, you know, British, new wave of British heavy metal, if you want to call it, music at the time? Um, yeah, actually, Halloween's actually German power metal, but I was into to all that stuff, from, from Maiden to Metallica to Ozzy, then I started kind of really branching off into finding out about as many bands as I could, from Halloween to Raven to Loudness to Saxon, who we're, we're touring with uh, on this on this tour, you know, mm-hmm. Anthrax, uh, all those type of bands, as well as still re- being really into Queen and the Beatles and Pink Floyd and... and uh, the Stones, you know, I've had a real good musical upbringing from when I was a kid, uh, and to this day, that's why I was such a music fanatic, a uh, music freak, because I just really, uh, I didn't just listen to it, but I wanted to know everything about them and kind of go into their whole history and know every song they've ever done, and it's kind of always been that way. Yeah, I think a lot of people see that, that comes, you know, very, very clear when they when they look at what you've done and what you've been interested in. That your love of music has always been very genuine. I think you know, obviously, metal has, has embraced the band yeah, quite you a know, bit. I mean, when, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be in the band. I wanted to be a wrestler. Those are my two things, and I've been fortunate enough to do them both. But music was always the one I was always more attracted to. Uh, I was never, you know, a trivia guy with wrestling, or you know, I was a big fan. But with music, it was more of an obsession than anything. You know, I still mm-hmm. to this day love sitting down with 
people that know about music and just discussing the minutia and, and, and the minor details of every, you know, every little fact and figure about whatever band that we're talking about. And it's, my wife gets mad at me because she knows that she has to leave the room when I get together with certain guys because it's just all music yeah. hours and hours and hours on end, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dorky metal trivia, you can argue over which the first metal band was. You know, there's all kinds of great yeah, uh, of that stuff conversations of part of that. Now, you mentioned you're going to be touring with Saxon, which has to be a thrill uh, to be uh, sharing the stage every night with Biff. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Biff's influence on you particularly? Yeah, well, um, I discovered Saxon probably in about 83 or so. Uh, I always debate this with Lars from Metallica. He loves, you know, late 70s, first three or four Saxon records, and I kind of came in from the fourth to the eighth Saxon records, mm-hmm. and I kind of liked uh, Crusader. I remember I asked for Crusader for Christmas in 1984. It was the only, the only present I asked for, and I got it, and I was super excited to get Crusader by Saxon under the tree. Uh, and really kind of got into the band from there, backwards and forwards, Power and the Glory, Denim and Leather. And then when Innocence is No Excuse came out and Destiny kind of their, uh, Rock the Nations kind of their mid-80s period where it got a little bit more polished, I still really dug that stuff too. So, uh, and then, you know, I never, never really left. I, I, I just stayed with them for their whole career and really was impressed with the last two records called Arms and Sacrifice. I think Sacrifice is one of the best records they've ever done. And that's why when the opportunity came up to, to start talking about this tour of, of Saxon and Fozzie, I was really excited about it because they're not just the nostalgia band. You know, they've got great, a great catalog of songs, but they're still releasing amazing material. And that's what really, I really like the, the, the best, the fact that they're still putting out some of the best work of, of their career, you know, 30 odd years in, and that really attracted me to them. So, really excited to be out with them from, from a fan standpoint, from a professional standpoint, from a respect standpoint. Um, because, like I said, they're still, they're still trying and they're still succeeding. And that, that really appealed to me because they, they can just rest in their laurels and do the greatest hits, you know, show every night and still headline festivals over in Europe and the UK. But here they are putting out this amazing material and then doing their first extensive U.S. tour in years and asking us to join them. So it's a real honor and it's a challenge. We want to kick their ass every night and I'm sure they want to kick our asses every night. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see who wins. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who who haven't picked up Sacrifice, I think I, I would compare Sacrifice to kind of like Blood of Nations from Accept where you know it was a band you yeah. haven't heard from a while and it was like, wow, it's a fantastically yeah. produced album. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Andy Sneap was kind of behind both those records. Mm-hmm. Andy Sneap, back in the day, used to be in Fozzie. He actually, he, he mixed the first two Fozzie records. He played with us on the Happenstance tour, and now, you know, he's still a great friend of the band, but here he is kind of revitalizing Except's career and Saxon's career, and, and now here we are going out with Saxon. So it all ties together. Yeah, yeah, it can produce my album any day, because, boy, those yeah. both are, they have such an incredible, you know, sonic... You know, even yeah. you know the song aside, it's such an easy album to listen to because it's so well produced. So fantastic! Um, your latest album, Sin and Bones, is about a year old now. Uh, um, do you guys? I mean, how do you find time to write? I mean, I don't even know how you guys find time to rehearse with your other careers going on at the same time. Well, I mean, my career at this point is fuzzy. Um, everything is on uh, the whole schedule. is based around Fozzie's schedule at this point, and and that's why we have the time because there's all time available for Fozzie and we decided that about three years ago right when we started working on the Chase and the Grail record that we were really going to put full full force into this and you know I still work in the WWE from time to time but it's only when Fozzie's off the road or when we're mm-hmm. writing or whatever it may be 
But, um, I mean, yeah, those songs are very intricate. Uh, Rich Ward's melodies are very deceptively hard. Um, so there's a lot of rehearsal that needs to be done. And we've put the time in. I mean, uh, we've done over 100 gigs already on the Sin and Bones tour. We've just played, uh, just came back from Europe, which was our 14th country we've played in, 14 countries, 100 gigs. And anytime you can get to, to triple digits on a, on, a, on a tour cycle for an album, you know you've done something right, especially for us, because the market is really expanding and growing for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, rehearsal's a part of it, and we play seven songs from, from Sin and Bones in our headlining set. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, because it's our, it's our biggest selling record of our career, it's our most critically acclaimed, our, our highest charting, our most played on the radio, on rock radio in the States, so... We wanted to, to, to play as much as we can off it, and you know, seven songs is, is a pretty good chunk, and all of them go over huge. So it's, it's really cool to see the response for all of these songs that we have, and uh, to see that people really know the songs and, are, and, are, and have even not been buying the albums, but they're at least listening to it. So that's yeah. the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, and as a music fan, I appreciate it when a band has the confidence in their material to come out and play it live. You know, there are certain bands who paint their face, who we won't talk about, but who will release a new album and then drop one into the set list. And, and it, yeah. you know, I mean, of course, then Maiden gets crucified for doing, you know, all new material, you know, so it's... Well, I mean, there's definitely a balance, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think the reason why, you know, the band with the makeup that you're talking about is only playing one song in the, in the set is because it doesn't stand up to the, to the older material. Yeah. There's nothing on that new record that stands up to the older material, whereas for us, Sin and Bones, in our opinion, blows away the older material, but you still don't want to pull a maiden and do your entire new record uh, every show because, there's a, you know, we've been around for a long time. We've got five records, and, and there's people, you know, thousands of, of fans that have been with us right from the start. So you don't want to ignore them, and you still want to play some stuff that you might have grown up with because at this point we're almost a multi-generational band, but... You know, you got to find the happy medium. And in our headlining sets, I always make a point that we play something from every record. Mm-hmm. It might only be one song from the first two records, but at least we're doing something. And then the majority of the rest of it is Sin and Bone, Chase and the Grail material, which we feel is our best. Sure. But we always will play Enemy, of course. That's probably our biggest hit still. And then we still do uh, Kill a Stranger, and we still play Heap the Rich from time to time. It's a, it's a fun song that people love to, to, to rock out to. So I always like bands that would never ignore any phases of their career and will play something from every record and there's no reason not to yeah now in particular you were uh, on the uproar festival last year did that make a pretty big impact you think on the success of the band i I know for a lot of people i was in contact with you know a lot of people are aware of fozzy but maybe you got to some markets you hadn't been to or on on a larger scale festival did that make a pretty good impact from your eyes absolutely we've toured so much over the years but we've never done a coast-to-coast u.s tour and the fact that uh, we got the opportunity to do that on such a big level, the Upwork Festival, with Shinedown, with Godsmack, with all these major bands, um, and we had a great time slot. It was on right in the middle of the day. People were not drunk enough to <laughs> not want to come check us out, but curious enough. Like I said, we have tons and tons of loyal fans, but there's also tons and tons of people that never have heard of us or had heard of us but never listened to us. Yeah, And that's, and that's why when you do a festival, it's a perfect time to to uh, gain new fans, to convert people. And we love that. I mean, it's great playing your own shows where, you know, people are, you're preaching to the choir. But when you're playing festivals where a lot of people don't know who you are, 
there's nothing there's nothing more exciting for me than seeing a crowd of people staring at us like a strange animal in a zoo, <laughs> and then 30 minutes later they've got their hands in the air chanting Fozzie. That to me is the ultimate compliment because we've won them over, and we know how to do it. We do it every single night. So yeah. that's why I would say we'll open for anybody. We'll play with anybody from Bon Jovi to Slayer, and I guarantee we'll win over any crowd we play in front of. You know what we're doing at this point, and that's that's half the fun of it. And and that just increases fans and increases interest, and that's why the band has grown so much over the last three years because we've been able to really do that and take some really smart tours to get a very d- diverse uh, fan base. Uh, behind us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you, you brought up a very good analogy when you said, you know, people are kind of curious because I think, you know, you're a band that everyone, I think, was aware of. Uh, you know, I remember even when the first album came out that you weren't sure if this was for real, you know, and obviously, sure. you know, 13 years later, you're certainly for real and listen to the new record, there's no question. Um, do you think your career, you know, as a professional wrestler as a whole has given you um, some insight on, on being a front man and having that charisma that, you know, I think, you know, guys like David Lee Roth and things like that had to carry, you know, a band like that, you know, in front of an audience. Does that help at all? Well, absolutely. Like, I always wanted to be the David Lee Roth of wrestling. Like, like mm-hmm. I said, I've been playing in bands since I was 12, and I always was kind of uh, enamored with, with, the, with the concept of the ultimate front man, the party mm-hmm. host. So when I first started wrestling, I wanted to take those concepts into the wrestling ring. You know, Paul Stanley tricks and David Lee Roth tricks and James Hetfield tricks. And then when we started Fozzie, I kind of took the tricks that I was using in wrestling that I took from rock and roll and brought them back into rock and roll again. So it was a real kind of reciprocal, uh, you know, reciprocal traits that I was using. So yes, absolutely, I used those tricks that I learned in rock and roll for wrestling. I learned the tricks from wrestling that I learned in rock and roll. And it's all part of the same thing. When you're in front of a live audience, it doesn't matter what you're doing, acting, singing, dancing, wrestling, whatever it may be, you have to make that connection with the crowd. And if you can do that, that's what makes a great front man. The great front man has to be the type of guy that all the guys want to have a beer with and all the girls don't want to go on a date with. And to this day, you know, I just went to the Stones a couple of months ago and watched Mick Jagger just own the crowd and palm of his hand at 70 years old. I didn't know he was, I didn't realize he was 70 or even remember. He might as well have been 20. Didn't matter. He knew exactly what to do, when to do it. And that's what I love about seeing some bands like that that have been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. They can get the crowd in palm of their hands instantly. And that's, that's just, um, that, that's a trait that I've learned over the years. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a great live show. Yeah. A great live band, a lot of energy, and, and we make sure that people have fun, which is almost a taboo word in rock and roll. But we make sure people have fun, and not in a jokey way, in a fuck, that was a great time, I can't wait to go back and see them again type of way. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, about the charisma. You look at someone like Hulk Hogan, for example, you know, I think it was Gorilla Monsoon, he said he didn't know a wrist watch from a wrist lock, but the man had charisma, you know, to, to carry 20,000 people. Yeah, that's the most important thing in anything. I mean, David Lee Roth was never the greatest singer live, but no. he could control the crowd. Hogan was never the greatest technical wrestler, but was he one of the best wrestlers at getting a crowd into it? Yeah, possibly the best to this day. Yeah, heck yeah, maybe not the best bass player, but we'll leave that for another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. He did well, get the offer from Metallica. <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. Sure, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But uh, Chris, Burton bass lines are so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Rob Robert uh, was second choice, I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. Chris, I want to thank you so much again. You're going to be in the road with um, 
Saxon, and then uh, I have to admit you probably circled, um, you're, you're doing a show in Winnipeg right after that. That's got to be special, kind of doing a little homecoming gig there. Yeah, this is a great tour for that. I mean, we're doing Winnipeg, which is a homecoming, doing Calgary, which is almost a homecoming. Uh, we're doing Atlanta, which is a homecoming because the guys in the band, we're pretty much an Atlanta band with the exception of me. You know, New York's always great for us. LA is always great for us. Even coming to, to Reading, Pennsylvania, which I know is close to you, uh, we've got a great fan base in, 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 in the Northeast area. And uh, we're really excited, man. I mean, like I said, we've done so much touring over the year, uh, everywhere but the States that we're really excited to kind of put the final exclamation point on this hugely successful Cinnabones tour in our own country. So we're really looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. A big thanks to Chris Jericho again. Fozzie will be on the road doing shows all over the country unfortunately not in my market of pittsburgh pennsylvania but uh, they're gonna be doing a lot of dates on that tour so it'd be really cool to check them out uh, you can check out fozzy's website for all the dates and details we're gonna turn our attention now to a band that i discovered uh many many years ago a band called tragedy uh who has done i believe uh two albums to this point of metal versions of bg songs um always been a kind of a fan of the bgs and not afraid to admit that uh, so it was really cool to hear a band tackle some of that, especially the harmonies of the Bee Gees, which cannot be understated. Um, you know, you've got notes that are up there with King Diamond, so uh, certainly not uh, any slouches as far as vocals, and they do some really fun covers of the songs. Uh, they have a new album out. The album's called Death to False Disco Metal, uh, where they tackle some other artists' songs. Uh, this time it's kind of a departure from their Bee Gees only uh, stand so far so i'm going to take you to a track uh this is an abba classic called dancing queen we're going to get into the interview with maurice discovered it was probably 2008 2009 uh, i had heard an interview with one of the guys from tragedy it may have been you it may have been someone else i don't even remember but i, I had heard uh, your version of jive talking on the first album which uh, it was a hit song from the bgs obviously uh and your first album if i'm not mistaken was completely bgs tribute songs correct yeah, it was all Beaches. Uh, there's, uh, I think, a couple of Andy Gibbs songs in there. Yeah, but yeah. The, the Beaches, you know, wrote them and, and produced those recordings and sang backups and everything. Absolutely. Now, um, what, what kind of got you guys into the idea? Of, like, where did the idea of combining heavy metal and the Beaches start? Well, um, <laughs> the origin of the story is that um, we were uh, called by a promoter who wanted. Uh, wanted a, a tribute band, but something kind of different. And I was sitting there with uh, with uh, Barry Glibb uh, in a diner when we got this call. We were uh, working on an album. His uh, his band was called uh, Children of the Unicorn, and I was um, recording and producing it. And uh, yeah, we're on lunch break, and we get get this call, and uh, and. 
he said to the promoter, you know, Barry did it, he was on the phone, he said, uh, let me think about it, let me call you back. So we sat there in the diner and kind of brainstormed what would be some, uh, some fun ideas. And uh, we came up with this, and the reason we came up with the Bee Gees, um, or the reason we went with it, we came up with a whole bunch of ideas. We came up with a heavy metal tribute to Anita Baker, <laughs> um, thinking like that would be some, that would have the zero audience appeal. Yeah, um, I can imagine. <laughs> but uh, we went with the Bee Gees because we thought about their catalog, and... Um, and this is, you know, not even sitting down and listening to the music, just kind of coming up with, you know, what would be something, you know, that's really soft to begin with and would be really interesting to to make into heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came up with that, and, you know, and then as we got into it, it was like, wow, you know, you know their whole 60s catalog, which we don't do a lot of, but then they wrote for... Samantha Sang, they wrote for Barbara Streisand, you know, they just had this amazing body of work to cover. And and what was cool is that sometimes you just like you know, you kind of crank up the volume and the performance on these songs and they just automatically become metal. Sometimes it don't, sometimes it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And the one thing I noticed about like your first your first record was not um I wouldn't call it a mashup style. I mean, I mean, obviously you played in a style, but I mean, there's bands like, um, uh, you know, that, that do uh, like Metallica, for example, that, that blend right, right. A, a Metallica music with vocals of the Beatles and things like that. But you, you guys stayed. I mean, especially on the first record, very, very true to the songs. Just turned it up to eleven, honestly. Yeah, you know, that's something that that I think is important. When you do a twist on a song, I think it's important to maintain the melody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's the thing that that's that, that's the song. And if you're you know changing the song too dramatically, then I don't know it just becomes something different. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when when uh, you know bands like you know just. You know, I don't have a problem with reinventing something, but, you know, it's really cool if you can keep the melody, which is the main thing, and then change everything else around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things to me that stuck out um, is that you're starting with, I mean, love disco, love the 70s and the 60s. You started out with what are very good songs. Um, you know, whether you're a metalhead or you're not a metalhead, Jive Talking or Tragedy are still good melodic songs you know you just changed the presentation of them right uh, you know obviously pretty drastic but uh, came up with phenomenally cool songs to listen to um now on a live front i mean you guys have and i have not had the, the pleasure of seeing you guys live yet i mean you have a very visual show though correct yeah yeah totally can you, can you talk a little bit about what someone who walks in you know walks into the club and then when, when you guys come on stage what they're going to see <laughs> they're going to see themselves covered in glitter and confetti. Um, and, and they're going to feel, uh, you know, drunk with, with love and, and probably alcohol too. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a really good time. It's surprising to people how good a time they'll have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny when, when we were first starting out, we did a lot of support gigs and, um, 
And so we have to work to, you know, people didn't know what to expect. You know, a lot of times you support gig, like people don't even know that there's another band playing. And, yeah. you know, we get up there in our, in our spandex and our glitter and our, you know, flying Vs and start to play beachy songs, but heavy metal. And, you know, the looks would be, you know, usually confused, like for the first couple songs. And then by the end of the set, people just go on bananas. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, I mean, to, to, you know, from all the pictures I've seen, you guys have kind of a, almost appears like a spinal tap sort of meets Studio 54 look to you. Uh, <laughs> so it looks, you know, it looks like it would be an impressive show live. Now, um, for your subsequent records, you guys have delved into some more um, of era tracks, you know, of the disco era, especially your latest record, uh, Death to False Disco Metal. Do you want to talk a little bit about the song selections in, in particular, like what, what kind of drove you to the particular tracks? Sure. Well, you know, when we started doing our second album, we were trying to, we're still trying to do, you know, stay faithful to the, you know, Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, at least the beaches wrote it, you know. Yeah. You know, so we did songs like Islands in the Stream. We did Grease. Um, and, you know, we would do, you know, go into some of their 60s stuff and some of their, you know, I remember we did Guilty one time, which is just an amazing song. Um, but, like, it felt like when we play it live, some of those lesser known songs, um, that, it, it, we just weren't getting the, the feedback from the audience, and which kind of makes sense because if you're doing a twist on something, you, you kind of have to know what the original is. So, um, so then we thought, well, how can we, yeah, how can we keep this going and and uh, keep on doing some new material that mm-hmm. uh, and twists on on songs that people know. So then we started looking at other disco stuff, and <laughs> which made us appreciate the Bee Gees even more. Yeah, you know, disco. So much disco. It's just very basic. You know, it's a groove, it's a style, and that's kind of the whole song. Mm-hmm. While the Bee Gees stuff is just it's more intricate. I mean, the, the lyrics are, are more intricate, and the and the chord progressions, the melodies, the way everything is put together. Um, so we found it actually pretty challenging. We still still do find it challenging to find uh, uh, cool source material. Um, but yeah. the, so we did, uh, on the second record, we did uh, we did Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I mean, that's got kind of a great, you know, built-in riff right at the top. Um, we did Xanadu on that record. Now, was there um, a connection to the Bee Gees with that track? I remember that was an Olivia Newton-John track, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that was Olivia Newton-John and ELO. Okay. Um, yeah. I remember that god awful movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a long. Seems like a million years ago, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that that movie is something that that has it really captures the vibe of the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Roller skating and you know, kind of yeah, bubble-headed Southern California kind of vibe, but and, and great music, you know. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real guilty pleasure of mine that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. I'll, I'll admit. 
Um, with the new record, though, I mean, you guys, you kind of had an open palette then to pick whatever tracks you wanted at this point then, correct? Yeah. You know, we were, you know, we're always kind of working on different things, and sometimes they get through. Sometimes they get through to a show and, you know, don't get through to the record. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just kind of get put on the back burner. But, um, yeah, so we're looking for, you know, basically songs that would be either awesome sounding for us to do or songs that would be funny for us to do. Um, so the the lead-off track is It's Raining Men, which is kind of all the above. Um, but exactly. I guess especially funny that, that, that we do that. And then we do a couple of ABBA songs mm-hmm. that, you know, that's just great source material. Gimme, yeah. Gimme, Gimme a Man After Midnight. It's like, you know, that has like that that metal riff built into it. Yeah. Um, Dancing Queen comes off very, very well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Phenomenal song. Dancing Queen, like... It, I know it's not especially metal, but we're thinking that it sounded a lot like Boston. Yeah. That whole yeah, that, uh, that, that beginning like, melody. Exactly. I was going to say, you know, you could almost give that, you know, kind of the dual guitar sort of Judas Priest treatment even. But, yeah, you're exactly right. It does sound like something Tom Schultz would uh, play. Yeah, yeah. And then we do Believe by Cher. Um, we do... Uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band medley. Um, oh, and Kiss. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny, like, you know, people think of us as, like, the the ones who invented disco metal. But there's that one song that Kiss did that made their fans hate them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it made Australia love them, and it made the America hate them, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's funny, because we were in, kind of researching what songs we should do. We knew that we were going to be going to Germany. We went to Germany this uh, in August. And, you know, thinking about, you know, like, what, like we'd never been there before. We never played there before. Mm-hmm. So, we're, you know, we're kind of like, what's, uh, you know, what are big songs there? And one of us did an internet search for, like, uh, you know, party songs in Germany. Mm-hmm. And most of the list was like, you know, artists like Pink and Lady Gaga, but number one on the list was I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss. Yeah. So we're like, okay, we're doing that. So we did a version of it in English and a version of it in German. German. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because, I mean, it, it it's funny. I mean, I, I have to admit, as a Kiss fan, I, I hated the song. Um, but even, you know, your version and even their live version, you know, it makes it so much better of a song. It wasn't a bad song. It was just... You know, I think it was such a left turn from what people wanted to hear from Kiss. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I'd heard the same song from ABBA, probably wouldn't you know had any problem with it whatsoever because that's what I expected from ABBA. You know, so. Oh yeah, I mean it was just a, a betrayal, you know, and it's, that, that was the time when every it, everything was disco. You yeah. know, you had disco duck, and you had yeah. just all you know, duck. the culture uh, was being overwhelmed by disco and. It's it's funny because the, you know it took a long time for people to get over how much they hated disco, mm-hmm. but uh, now it's like finally people are taking a fresh look at it and seeing that's really great music. Not as bad. Uh, let me ask you this question because it's been driving me nuts. 
whose song was off the wall? Oh, that's Michael Jackson. Okay. You know, I listened to it, and I'm like, I, I reckon I remember the album from Michael Jackson off the wall, but the track, it was one of those tracks where it sounded familiar, but I couldn't place, you know, I just didn't put two and two together. So that's a that's a great one. Now, like, going forward with the band, I mean, you mentioned, like, Pink and Lady Gaga and stuff. Have you guys toyed with the idea of doing, you know, kind of metal versions of more contemporary pop songs? We have, and actually I did, I had another band for a little bit where where we did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I think, Believe by Cher is about as contemporary as we've gotten. Mm-hmm. I would love to do a song by, like, One Direction or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. We, we try to, it's, it's not so true to our concept and... Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I, I bet. I bet the next album will will have something more contemporary. Sure. Well, um, you had mentioned um, we we talked about your live performance. You guys uh, do a lot of shows, kind of in the in the New York City area, correct? Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? You guys. Uh, you, your home base is New York. You do a lot of shows in the New York City area, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where we're from. Okay. So um, your website for those um, who want to check it out. Let's make tragedy happen. Dot com. Um, you guys are on Facebook and all that stuff, I assume, as well? Yes, we are. That's uh, also the same address. Great. Let's okay. make tragedy happen. One question I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Any regrets from a vocalist standpoint on, on picking the BG songs due to the difficulty of singing, or is your voice just naturally that kind of Frankie Valley high? Uh, man, <laughs> that's it's the best stuff to sing. It's so challenging. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we have... We have four amazing vocalists in the band and three lead vocalists, and we love to be able to stretch it out. And you know, that's that's kind of how how we all learn to sing. We learn to sing by like making fun of the Bee Gees and mm-hmm. making fun of you know Bruce Dickinson and mm-hmm. you know Rob Halford and stuff like that. And then it's like you start to sing like that, and it's, man, it's just addictive. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So absolutely no regrets there. Yeah, you're, you're you're fortunate enough you can get up that high without. My, my voice would just fall apart kind of that high. So, my my hats off to you for even if you know you didn't do a metal version. Anybody who could stand there and, and sing, you know, stand alive without cracking and popping is going to respect. So, Maurice, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and and hopefully we can get you down to the Pittsburgh area sooner than later. All right, my pleasure. All right, man. All right, a big fan to Tragedy for coming on the show. Again, the new album's called Death to False Disco Metal. You can find their website at letsmaketragedyhappen.com. Doing shows all over the north, east, uh, particularly out of New York City, so hoping to get them down into Pittsburgh so we can check them out uh, in my town and as well as your town as well. So check that as well. And don't forget uh, Fozzie on tour with Saxon. Uh, as Chris and I talk about in the interview, so you want to check out those dates, Saxon and Fozzie. So you got some old school and some new school metal. Uh, really going to be a good show, and uh, Chris is super uh, to talk to with great uh, charisma, so I'm sure he'll be awesome to see live. And I want to thank you for listening. You can join us at ironcityrocks.com, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, or twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Also invite you to check out our sister website, heavymetalbookclub.com, and castironring.com, where you can find a brotherhood of podcast so check that out also ironcityrocks at gmail.com if you've got a band that's interested in the show or if you're a fan of the show you hate the show ironcityrocks at gmail.com 
Till next time, I want to thank you for listening.